Lucky she didn't call me at 3 o'clock in the morning, as she sometimes does, um, because sounds like he was starting to have either a urinary tract infection or a kidney stone, which has been recurrent, and so I was, you know, dealing with that as well. And then you get into the office, and it's Monday morning, so people are calling, people in the hospital, people in the ED, and... Um, and then people calling you because they're not happy or, you know, we got to put them someplace emergently. So I hope you have been in this little cocoon <laughs> and just, you know, and so I have to get myself kind of down to ground. So knowing that my background, um, you know, I once worked as a, a nurse practitioner in rheumatology, so chronic illness, and also um, I worked in mental health. Um, and I worked in the Department of Psychiatry for 20 years, not just with geriatric patients, um, but with a lot of medically ill patients and their families. And I have to say, um, about six years ago, I became a, a care manager for frail elderly patients. And I think this is the hardest job that I've ever done. Um, because I don't see people who are doing well, I see people who are struggling, and families who are struggling. Um, and so, and this is one of the big factors that people struggle about, and that's the financial considerations um, that impact on care decisions. Um, it's one of many, um, and you will find that I come from um, a background just not of numbers, because the numbers are changing all the time. It's um, really looking at the whole picture and the whole patient and the family. So we will go on a roll. And how many people here um, have had the, I would say, the opportunity, because I'm framing it in a positive way, of needing to care for someone, an elderly person who needed some kind of placement or home care, whether it's personal or professional? How many people? OK. So um, in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir. Um, I was very fortunate in that. Um, my own mom, who died uh, right before Thanksgiving, who was 92, um, and you know, I'm the one who's always doing all this education and whatever. Um, I was fortunate enough that she had enough of her cognitive um, sense of self that one day after we had done, you know, the assisted living in the nursing homes and home care and whatever, one day she simply said to my brother, I need to go to a nursing home today. So, um, you know, I know it doesn't go that way all the time. And then when I went to talk with her when things really took a turn for the worse, and I started talking to her about, you know, the end of life goals of care, she looked at me and she said, you know, I really think you're overdoing it. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, I'm going to die. I said, okay. So I said, I was just trying to plan and figure out how you wanted to do that and the best way that we could go about supporting you. So um, it doesn't always go that way. I happened to show my colleague this, this picture, and, or it came up on my slides, and she goes, oh, that's a beautiful picture. Um, I understand why you chose that. And I said, oh, well, why? She goes, well, all those barriers, she said, you know. For all those financial things, people can't get through them. And I said to her, um, 
well, God, actually, I thought that it's just so beautiful, and there's parts of that that's old and frail, and, and yet it's still gorgeous. And she goes, oh, you're so deep. <laughs> so the objective, obviously, is to look at the financial factors that impact individuals and their families, um, the decisions they need to make about the older um, adults with dementia. I think foremost, um, before you go to the money piece, I think you really need to look at the goals of care of each and every person. And when I say goals of care, I mean you have this person, and hopefully <laughs> you have this person before they're so cognitively impaired that they can't tell you what they want. So obviously, it's extremely important, you know, those um, advanced directives are immeasurable when you get to this state um, because I can tell you stories that you would not believe um, that occur in um, families with people with dementia or even if they don't have dementia. Um, and so getting to know what the goals of care of um, each individual is and making certain that their family hears what they want and also um, trying to get the family dynamics, which um, always surprises me, even though I've done this for quite a while. So um, the members of the family and understanding, it's always good to have people be able to come in and talk together. Um, sometimes that's not possible um, to really understand those advanced directives and to make certain that everybody's on the same page. But I can tell you um, one of the calls, one of the messages I got before um, I came here was from a daughter who I've been working with um, for quite some time. And there's five children. And two, we don't normally recommend this, but the durable power of attorney for health care actually are two, um, a son and a daughter, who have the same uh, there's not a primary and a secondary. They both are the primary. And they do not agree at all. Um, and their mom um, has uh, severe dementia, is still living in an apartment in the daughter's home. Um, she smokes, so she has burn holes, you know, in her clothing. And um, there have been all kinds of messes in the interior of the home. Um, and most recently, this winter, she fell down a couple times outside um, and wasn't able to get up. And they still can't figure out, even with Adult Protective Services, who you know, I look to as, part, as being part of the experts. And they told me that she still had the ability to make her own decisions. So um, finally, I ended up calling, you know, kind of treading light, calling the um, the patient's lawyer, who happened to be in Florida, and saying, you might not want to talk to me, but I want to talk to you. And fortunately, he was able, he was willing to listen to me and um, is trying to intervene with the two adult children. Um, so getting everybody on the same page um, is really helpful. And as you probably know, a lot of these major, major decisions are made in a time of crisis, not the best time. And I know um, Bob Santulli was talking to you about denial. Um, and um, there's so much hiding of information, and there's so much diversion that goes on. Um, 
that we find ourselves in these kind of crises. So um, most importantly, the people who, who need to acknowledge when they are younger and healthier that they'll need some kind of care at some point in time is essential. Um, and my husband is not happy um, that, you know, I, I've already started in saying, you know, how are we going to live in this house, you know? Uh, you can't be up there raking that roof all the time. And um, really starting to look at, you know, interventions that we have to face. Um, and that's not even with dementia. Those are the physical kind of things that you need to do with a home. So it's being prepared, it's being proactive, and it's resisting the denial. So I don't know if you realize that if a person lives to be at age 65, there's a 69% chance that he or she will need some kind of long-term care. You know, we're all going to need it. And in the United States, I'm sure you've been familiar with statistics, but one in nine people ages 65 and older, and one-third of people 85 and older have Alzheimer's disease. And this number, you know, we the, well, I shouldn't say we, you're not all baby boomers, but, you know, we're getting up there. And uh, we need to face some of these issues before we lose our minds as well. The number of cases of Alzheimer's disease projected, is projected to triple by 2050, from 5 million to 13.8 million. That is, like, I think, astounding. Just astounding. And 80% of adults who need long-term services and support, many with Alzheimer's disease, actually get a lot of their care, as you well know, if you've had family members, from unpaid um, family members or caregivers, friends, neighbors. Um, people, you know, kind of jump in. And 70% of people um, actually die in nursing homes who have a, a diagnosis of dementia. So, things you want to think about before you actually um, are forced with that decision about placing someone in a nursing home, um, you, it's important, as you would think, to look at the other options. We like to help people to age in place, and the bottom line is safety for everyone. And then it's always, how do you protect the health and the finances um, of the community spouse if there is one? And um, obtaining Medicaid coverage when necessary if nursing home placement is um, eventually required. So, take a deep breath and the Charles Schultz philosophy. The people who make a difference in your life are not the ones with the most credentials, the most money, or the most awards. And it sometimes um, behooves us to think, really, we are not all that important as the professionals. They simply are the ones who care the most, the people who are closest to them. And I think sometimes we can get in too deeply um, in some of the family dynamics. And we need to remember what is most important to the person. 
So Medicare benefits for, and this is Medicare, not Medicaid, for Alzheimer's dementia. Um, if there's a medical necessity, uh, Medicare will pay for 20 days of a nursing home at 100%. And then they'll pay an additional um, for 80 days if there's with 80% coverage. If an individual with Alzheimer's require care in a psychiatric facility, those care days get extended to 190 days. And Medicare will pay for hospice care to include homemaker services and personal assistance in the final six months of life. Sorry for that the thing. Uh-oh, not good. Oh, I forget those little things happen. So you know, most, or I should say many, many, many families think that Medicare pays for long-term custodial or personal care, and that is not the case. And so they just go, well, they have Medicare, and so that should take care of it. And we get into a lot of hot water in that way. So what to consider? So this was a survey that uh, was done by Genworth in 2013. And I thought, since we're on this New Hampshire-Vermont um, border, it would it'd be good to kind of look at a survey that they recently did um, that looks at the costs of um, different kinds of care. So you can see, for instance, I mean, I think they're relatively in the same ballpark. If you look at the homemakers, you know, in Vermont, it's 19 to $25 an hour. Um, in New Hampshire, for the homemaker, it's 18 to $25 an hour. Um, home health aides, Vermont, 19 to 27. In New Hampshire, 20 to 26. Um, adult day in Vermont is 113 to 176. And in New Hampshire, 50 to 75. I find that a little bit on the low side, but... Um, and if you're looking at assisted living, you know, assisted living can range from, you know, the kind of mom and pop to, you know, all the terrace communities um, and the, you know, much more refined places. So in Vermont, um, 1,788 to 7,210. And in New Hampshire, we're, you know, really in the same ballpark, 2,100 to 6,750. So you start to see the costs mount up. Again, from that same Genworth um, study in 2013, Vermont and New Hampshire, I did separate out. They were able to tell um, the difference between semi-private and private nursing home care. So, you know, like if you look in Vermont, it's 245 to 334, with the annual median rate being around 97,000. And if you're in a private room, um, the median rate is 107, 675. Um, again, New Hampshire, and I think over time, this kind of it's it's apples and apples, just different kinds. Um, in a semi-private in New Hampshire, the median rate is 107,675, and if you go to a private room, it's 125. Let's say. So expensive. Um, you can, uh, whatever savings people have um, can go pretty quickly if they don't have Medicaid. 
So when you think about long-term care and you think about aging in place, um, you think about the different home care programs, you think then about, you know, could they go to adult day? Could they um, do well in assisted living? Um, is there some respite care available um, for the family or for, you know, the patient? Or, I mean, it kind of goes together. Um, you have memory care residences and continuing care retirement communities, which the latter, of course, you know, there's usually a big buy-in for those, for those type of places for people to be. So I see this a lot, um, where the adult child is faced with this promise somewhere along the line they have made, because the parent tearfully says, you know, promise me. You'll never put me in a nursing home. And um, I think families want to take care of their folks or uncles or aunts. But I think sometimes, you know, you get to a point where you, you can get really pretty burned out or you don't have the resources to do that. So again, as I emphasized before, the goals of the care go back to that bottom line because I think sometimes people, when they're started, they start to face the trajectory of decline, they then have periods of time where it can get a little bit of panicky and say, you know, can't we do this? And you always have to ask that question, if you're going to do this, what are we going to do with the results? Or are they going to tell us something that will eventually help um, to better the situation? Um, and again, it's going back to that same page, getting them on. I'm just going to get some water. <coughs> and going back, oh God, this is really, I did that. It's Monday, remember. Oh, there goes that thing again. I can't make it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, do your little thing. Are we back there? Okay, we're good. So, to think about options so that you don't go into nursing home, I've already said some of those. Um, there are many um, out-of-pocket expenses, and I don't think lots of people, I think the, lots of people have the money to do it. The other piece is that most parents want to leave their money for their children. Um, and there, but there are some state programs um, that are really based on need and income, and you don't have to have Medicaid um, at that point, but as time goes on, um, there are so many, many programs, but also there have been so many cuts in the grants um, that support a lot of elders. So there are community service programs, and um, you can have a a uh, community nurse, social worker come in and help to assess. Those are kind of like the, the um, eyes and ears of, um, I mean, it's an extension, I think, of primary care or geriatric care in that you have people who can actually go into the home um, because there's nothing, nothing like it. Um, to actually go and see where someone lives, there's a whole story that you never get in the office. 
Um, and when I did um, counseling with people, it was far easier to see people in the office and, you know, they were dealing with their medical issues, but also they were dealing with psychosocial issues. They were dealing with, you know, separating and individuating from their, um, you know, parents or their family. And what I found is that all of a sudden you have them all together in the same heap. And so there's not, it's how do you separate and individuate? How do you have those adult children take care of um, themselves, but at the same time they're torn about taking care of their parent? So I have found ServiceLink um, in New Hampshire to be extremely, extremely helpful because they do send out people. Um, they can go into the office. The one locally is um, over, over by the Lebanon Senior Center, but they're all through. If you go on the web, you can find, um, well, this is the general number you can call, and they will connect you with your locale. Um, also in Vermont, the Bureau, Bureau of Elderly and Adult Services will, um, uh, I'm sorry, that, that is in New Hampshire. Um, I get them mixed up sometimes, too. Um, either of those two agencies um, can help you. And in Vermont, uh, the Senior Solutions Helpline, um, you know, you have the choices of care program, long-term care, um, and Medicaid choices. Uh, again, they will direct you and lead you through the state. The whole long-term care insurance. Um, it really varies so widely, and boy, do you have to read the fine print. Some cover skilled and non-skilled facilities, nursing homes, adult daycare, assisted living. Some will pay for their medical equipment um, or more informal home care. It's really, really important to check that policy and also see if they have the clause for pre existing conditions. Um, I can tell you of, of folks, too, who have combined this long-term care insurance. Um, there's a woman well into her, I mean well into her 90s um, currently, and her long-term care um, insurance is getting really low, and so her family decided in order to pay for her care, they would um, do a, re a reverse mortgage. And so um, we're, we're getting on the tail end of, of that. Um, and so um, the most important, I think, one of the most important things with the reverse mortgage is to really look at the marital status um, if there is a spouse. and. Um, how to make certain, you know, how, how long are we talking about that, you know, the money is going to last on the home. And usually the, the spouse can stay in the home for a year after. But still, you're faced with a whole, a whole new situation for all. Um, I've said there are some non-Medicaid assistance uh, programs um, for other options for assistance in the home. Um, and they're really looking at uh, low-income folks who require assistance with um, ADLs uh, or activities of daily living. And 
it's really quite something. Um, I, I cease to get a, to be amazed. Even people who have a fair amount of resources, depending on their income from their Social Security, can have people come in and clean and help out with daily chores. Um, one thing that I find um, to be kind of difficult is when I think of several people whose spouse dies and then they, uh, the husband dies, and then the um, woman then gets the husband's Social Security and it bumps them up just a little bit too much and then they're not able to get those resources. So then the expectation is, you know, they have to pay out of pocket and it's trying to find you know, the money from someplace. And I have to say that the state agencies really have bent over backwards to try to help people, but um, it's pretty grueling. And in both Vermont and New Hampshire, um, there are Medicaid waiver programs that do allow people to stay at home. Um, it, it's amazing some of the folks who have Alzheimer's and um, are able to go to adult day programs like five days a week, and then um, come home. You know, they're there during the daytime, come home. I mean, and literally, they are bused there. Um, or they have, you know, smaller vans that come and pick them up. And um, they come home for dinner, and family helps them get situated, you know, for the evening. They're lucky if that individual sleeps through the night. Um, but hopefully with a good balance of different medications that can be accomplished. Um, but so that really was, I, I know it sounds crazy, but it was really an eye opener for me because it really, really, really allowed people to keep their loved ones at home. Um, and they could feel good that they were safe during the day and they had activities to do and people to be with and so they could be social um, and it's amazing to watch some of those um, daycares. There are other waivers, you know, um, Alzheimer's waivers and home care waivers. Um, respite. Um, there are a number of, of programs, whether it be through um, the state, if you're a veteran, they have um, programs. There are some local nonprofit um, grants sometimes that people we can find for people, um, or foundations um, like the Alzheimer's Association that will help out. Um, I think it's hard to have caregivers take care of themselves. So if there's any way that we can find to even give them, you know, sometimes it can be a few hours a day, sometimes they need a period of time where we need to place someone and um, give them a real, uh, a real break, but um, to do that continuum of care, uh, it takes an awful lot of personal energy, which you already, you know, you know. So assisted living, um, and there are assisted living that are completely um, out-of-pocket pay. Um, and then there are those who have some Medicaid beds. And as I said, the major benefit is they are not nursing homes. So if you've made that promise, um, 
and sometimes you have to go beyond the promise. But, um, you know, it gives people, you know, a sense of safety. Um, it helps them with their meals. They get personal assistance. Um, they're not so isolated. Transportation to appointments. Um, and oftentimes the, someone from the agency will, will go with the person. And sometimes their families meet them at the appointments um, so that we can have more of a, um, a discussion with everybody on the same page. And, you know, they can have activities. So they can live a very full life. Um, it's very difficult for um, adult children not to feel um, so guilty that, you know, they had to place um, their parent. But oftentimes the parent is much happier or much more engaged in a way than sitting home. Um, I watched this with my own mom. You know, she, she was kind of a shy person, but would be quite social. Um, but initially, she wanted to be home. Everybody wants to be home. But home meant um, basically, you know, when you're physically able to function, you can do little chores around. And then as time goes on and people get more and more frail, even with, um, you know, a lifeline button, when she was still, um, even though she was cognitively intact, if she had a fall um, at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, she'd make a choice not to press her lifeline because she didn't want to wake my brother up because he had to go to work, you know. Um, so she'd wait until the time that he got up and then press the button. Um, so, you know, this happens all the time. So Medicaid. Medicaid, hoy, hoy, hoy. You know, for those of you who have helped people make out the Medicaid papers, they go on and on and on. Um, but there are funding for many types of waivers for home care, assisted living in nursing homes. Um, and the federal law does protect spouses of nursing home residents from losing all of their income um, or having to pay all their assets for the nursing home care. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's very difficult because of that, you know, the five-year look back um, when they look at every little cent that is given to someone else or, um, I mean, they look at gifting and, you know, have people... Um, really done things to um, make them eligible, but with an under the table, um, in an under the table manner. So in Vermont, you can get choices for care. Um, if you're 18 or older, 18 to 64 is you have to be physically disabled. But 65 and older, older um, can require nursing home level of care. If they want to stay in their home, you can find ways to have people come into the home and help them. So um, income in Vermont, for Vermont Medicaid, um, applicants have the protected income level. Um, in 2014, in most areas of the state, it can vary. It's $9.75 a month for a single person. Um, and they also have a medically needy program for people who are over this limit, but they have high medical expenses, so a lot of medicines. Um, assets, if you're single, you're permitted to have up to $2,000 in accountable assets. 
and um, but they don't count your home and your vehicle. Um, the married spouse can keep up to $117,240, and again, there's some variation with that if they're not themselves receiving Medicaid assistance. Um, and this is the whole thing I was talking about the, um, for the Medicaid and the choices of care, that they have the right to look up to five years um, to look at any transfers of money, gifts, um, any other way that they were um, kind of, it's looked upon as trying to figure out some scam to um, get them Medicaid benefits. And I think a Medicaid planner or a elder care lawyer um, is really helpful to kind of help to really delineate, um, you know, ways, legal ways to, you know, utilize the money. And a lot of times there are many things, you know, people can do in that spend down, whether it's, you know, pay for your funeral, they can make repairs to their homes, um, they just can't give the money away to somebody else. Um, Vermont Choices for Care, again, the whole list of what you can, what you can derive from their programs. Um, many of them uh, have case, all of them really, have case managers who help people to maneuver the system. And, um, and there are, if someone is living at home, you can utilize some monies to, um, you know, make a ramp. Um, make things safer at home, uh, make certain, oh, sorry, make certain they do have a, um, uh, an emergency response system so they can call if they fall or to have some kind of respite. So New Hampshire, I mean, these are really very similar. Um, again, in New Hampshire, it's about $2,500 in accountable assets. Um, again, they look at the, the home, the motor vehicle, the furniture, all that stuff. Those personal things are not accountable. But um, if the person was the sole occupant of their house um, and you're looking at six months, Medicaid is always looking to see what they can get back for payment back. Otherwise, we'd be more bankrupt, I suppose, than we would. We are now trying to help all of these elders. Um, and if someone goes into a nursing home, for instance, and they can get documentation from their doctor that they're going to be able to come back, there has to be a statement. Um, you know, you can put a hold on some of this. But all of their assets, stocks and bonds and bank accounts and IRAs are all accountable um, and everything um, greater than $1,500 in the life insurance has to be surrendered. The home can also be income producing. Like if you want to rent it, yep. that's fine. They don't have to sell it. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so lots of complexity. Looking um, to ServiceLink and Senior Solutions, whether you're talking about ServiceLink in New Hampshire or Senior Solutions 
Um, they do have um, financial counselors who are available to um, individuals and their families. Um, so the, the important part, I think, the takeaway really is to look at um, being proactive and how to identify the goals of care. Um, looking for financial services and, um, you know, looking for state and federal programs. But again, I think you need someone often to help maneuver, whether that be a care manager or a social worker or someone in the field um, to help you. I think one of the big things that we are seeing and people have seen previously is the amount of um, financial uh, abuse that is taking place with elders um, within the context of their families. Um, it saddens me to tell you that I know many of the Adult Protective Services workers by first name. Um, and that, that, you know, it, and we're talking finances, we're talking, um, you know, narcotic drugs, we're talking jewelry, we're talking um, all kinds of unimaginable, really, things that come up missing in the home. And I think the hard part is, especially when you're dealing with somebody with Alzheimer's, um, you know, there are many people who are very delusional and they're telling you all these stories and there's this one and that one taking this and that. Um, but uh, the relationship with Adult Protective Services has become very necessary in order to try to keep people safe. So, remember, you are dealing with those fragile souls with dementia. Uh, this is a quote from Randy Fine. To age with dignity and grace, we must learn acceptance. Life has showed us time and time again that there is much we cannot control or change. <laughs> this is one of my favorite little... Uh, um, cartoons, I think we need to be on guard and see that people even, I mean, I don't know what their uh, cognitive measures are at this point, but, and you can't really see if they're smiling or not, but everybody else is around watching them, so I'm hoping they're not going to harm each other. So I don't know if you can see underneath. Up here it says, beautiful old people are works of art. Beautiful young people are accidents of nature. <laughs> but beautiful old people are works of art. And that's from um, Eleanor Roosevelt. So I wanted to take some time to um, give people, and I wanted to give a good amount of time for people to really talk together and share what you have learned, what you've been seeing in the community so that we can work together because I think our power, I, what I see my power as being is within the team, the context of the team and all the people I can get to know to provide that net. So what if, 
what have people come upon? What kind of questions do you have? Are there incidences in which you have come across that, you know, I, I think are important to share? qualifying for Medicaid. What if somebody um, gifted money before, um, so I'm a professional guardian and I get involved when there's all, often a lot of financial shenanigans and I have folks who are spending down rather quickly because of need for home care, assisted living, whatever. Yeah. Um, and they're gonna have to go through the Medicaid planning process. Um, what if, I'm, do you know, um, what if somebody has gifted money in the last five-year look back, but that money is no longer recoverable, but it was done, you know, of free will um, to a... So it's, it, it's in that five-year window it or would be it was in, before the five-year five window. window? So I have a, I have a family, I have a, a person under my guardianship, she's got two daughters, and, um, and they've just you know, taken advantage of mom, and, and mom was, was considered competent and... Um, gave that money. There's no way that the state or anyone else will ever get that money back, but she is going to uh, need to um, apply for Medicaid eventually well, in the next year and a half. We're doing yeah. a reverse mortgage. Um, they do have a reverse mortgage? She's, she just qualified. She, we just closed on one, and she'll spend that down in a year and a half. I mean, it was started by a previous guardian. It's an incredibly expensive process. Yeah. You know, it's meant to be used long term. I would look sooner rather than later into, I don't know the amount of money that was given as gifts, yeah. um, but look into that before that mortgage is paid down because they will be looking for that money. Okay, thank you. In reference to the previous question, you definitely want to consult with someone who's and a New Hampshire Medicaid specialist because there's the state um, does place a penalty against the individual um, based on the mm -hmm. current average rate of monthly rate of a nursing home stay so let's say the monthly rate is eight thousand dollars and you've you've given away 24 well you have a three-month penalty and mm -hmm. it's up to you to figure out what you're gonna do right. but Medicaid is not gonna pay for those three months you know it's gonna be a delay on that right. funding but I did want to point out that none of the slides that were included in here um, actually spoke to choices for independence, which is New Hampshire's nursing home alternative program and provides services that are very similar to those that are mentioned under the Vermont Choices for Care mm -hmm. program. Um, and you can access information about that program through elderly and adult services in New Hampshire or also through ServiceLink as you had put yeah. on the slides. So the, that's the Bureau for Elderly and Adult Services? Yes. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Over. I have a social worker in home health and hospice and um, oh. what I find that wasn't necessarily mentioned so specifically in the, in mm -hmm. the slides was that I am constantly having to manage people's expectations about the amount of time it takes to get Medicaid in place. That um, in New Hampshire, there appears to be, what seems to me, one nurse <laughs> to do these um, assessments. And so it just takes months and months. And I'm also very grateful for ServiceLink because I help they just so help facilitate the process, but also keep things in perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and 
sometimes it's just nice to have another person in the room say, no, really, this is challenging, and I'm not the only one delivering the bad news. The bad and, news. Um, so a lot of it has to do with managing expectations and getting good information. The people are most concerned with how long it takes and will I lose my house and am I going to be able to give anything to my kids? And, you know, unfortunately the answer is yes, it takes a long time and no, no. <laughs> so um, so uh, it, a lot of it's managing expectations. What have people found, um, it sounds like we do have um, some advocates for um, folks as far as guardians. What have you found um, in situations where you have had to put a guardian in, shape, in place? Is that why you were, there was a guardian, because there had been financial discretions? Right. And the difficult thing has been uh, the mother is very clear she still wants her girls in her life. They both misbehave really badly and they take turns being the good one. So I have to work with them to make sure because we want her to be the least restrictive environment possible. So work with the daughters in the best way possible so that they are part of their mom's life. Even though I'd like to ship them off. And do you do this with multiple people? I mean, as guardian. Okay. <laughs> we might need your card. Because <laughs> sometimes it's very difficult to find people who will serve as a guardian. Um, I think what, what I'm seeing a lot of are the mental health issues, um, you know, interposed with medical issues. And because and again, this is my opinion. I don't think always our mental health systems are working up to snuff. So we are finding that many people with uh, mental health issues are utilizing the emergency room as their primary care um, doctor, if you will. And then what we've tried to do with our geriatric team is have 
people who were the repeaters in the emergency room, if they did not have a primary care doctor, we were um, assigning them. So that meant that all of those people who have mental health issues being the primary situation, um, some of those did not have case managers in the mental health arena. So, you know, I end up managing kind of this debacle. Um, and um, it's difficult, well, it's difficult, obviously, because you have um, a lot of noncompliance as far as taking medicines. And if they took their medicines, you know, they'd be okay, you know, um, or more functional or not delusional or not manic or not depressed. And, um, but it's going back and forth. Um, we have a situation with a woman that's gone on for years and years, and she's legally, no, she's not legal. She's separated from her husband. He lives in one state. She lives in another state. They have two abodes, and they have several children who, because she's often manic, um, don't want to deal with her. Nobody wanted to become her guardian, and this has gone on for years and years and years, um, and we're finally getting to a situation where I mean, it's very difficult to find a guardian, for instance, for someone who, um, you know, has a lot of mental health issues and is very high maintenance. Um, so, and also for the pa if you're private, you know, I mean, for the family to pay. Yeah. So, yes. Um, this is actually in reference to the, the last issue. Um, I don't know the rules in New Hampshire, but in Vermont, if somebody has given away money or somehow transferred inappropriately, during the look-back period, there is a hardship exemption that you can request from the state of Vermont. Mm. If you can make a case that this person really has to have care, has no money, there is no way to recover the money that went out, and they fairly clearly didn't understand the consequences of what they were doing and how many people understand all the rules of long-term care Medicaid anyway. Right. Um, so that the state can certainly deny it, but that is one other option that people have. Yeah. Thank you. Another situation I've been recently dealing with is a, a, a woman who is felt to be um, having mild um, cognitive um, difficulty and this is by her primary care and we got another opinion from a geriatric psychiatrist um, she's in a situation she has um, four children and she has three sons who live locally and um, all three of them unfortunately have been taking financial advantage of her and this was a case that was um, looked at by adult protective services <coughs> And because she um, essentially has capacity, it's felt she has capacity, however, she gets railroaded into making bad financial decisions and bailing out her children. So they suggested, the court suggested that she um, agree to have a voluntary um, guardian for a financial guardian only for six months. And this woman, you know, is not computer savvy. She doesn't pay her bills online and whatever. And her guardian set up all her finances, but doing it kind of separately from her. Um, so that has created a lot of turmoil. And um, again, the um, Adult Protective Services investigator 
um, wants this woman to have a formal um, guardian for her finances. And um, I'm learning more and more about the um, intricacies of how do you do some cognitive testing in the way that APS thinks we ought to be doing it um, because, you know, all of the regular tests, I said, is there special testing? Do you have to give them, I mean, other than the standard? Um, and um, so anyhow, we will be having to go back to court and figure out some kind of resolve. Um, I think actually if somebody was able to be the voluntary guardian and sit with her and make out the bills. But also the thing that's really troublesome is that um, one of the sons who has done a lot of her finances for her, the court ordered that he bring forth the documents and he's never brought them. So it doesn't seem like, I don't know, the court has the power to do that. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience where even though the court has deemed documents to come in, it, ha it hasn't occurred. So if uh, I have to submit certain reports mm -hmm. every year, and I have a bond, so you know if, if there's a guardian, sh if there's a guardian present, it doesn't apply to this woman. But in the future, that person's bonded. If they don't do what the court says, then you know that bond takes care of it. They owe that money to the court. That's sort of the recourse. But there really isn't. Um, I mean, when I got financial <laughs> guardianship uh, of this of this person, the the, not the last, the guard, success, the person I succeeded, but the one before that refused, who was in cahoots with the daughter, refused to turn over any documents. So she had to start from ground zero, you know, and like, uh, so it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, humans are amazing when we misbehave, so. Mm. Anyone else? <laughs> 